0: While you're taking your seat, if you will, open up with me in your copy of God's Word to Numbers chapter 15. Numbers chapter 15. I'm going to entitle the next few Lord's Day evening messages, Discussions on the Christian Sabbath. I'm still not certain if they're going to be lectures or sermons. Uh, You will need a copy of the Confession, and we'll be using the Confession. We're going to jump ahead to chapter 22, although I don't plan on working systematically through the chapter specifically. I don't want to go into any more detail than is absolutely necessary at this point. Discussions on the Christian Sabbath. I want to read to you from Numbers chapter 15, beginning in verse 32. While the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks... On the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him in custody because it had not been made clear what should be done to him. And the Lord said to Moses, The man shall be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp and all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones as the Lord commanded Moses well if you wanna see how serious a judge is about a particular crime you don't have to look any further than the punishment that is prescribed for that crime Now, within the legal code of the theocracy of Israel, under the Mosaic Covenant, there are many commands, many prescriptions, many prohibitions, and comparatively speaking, very few of them carry with them the penalty of death. Idolatry, the worship of false gods, was punishable by death. False prophecy, that would be speaking falsely in the name of God and And very often tied to that was the attempt to draw away people after other gods. That was punishable by death. Necromancy, speaking with the dead, mediums in our day, psychic, tarot card readers, palm readers, that type of thing. Necromancy was punishable by death. Blasphemy, cursing the name of God, was punishable by death. Many sexual sins like adultery... Rape, incest, homosexuality, and bestiality were punishable by death. Murder was punishable by death. Belligerent disobedience of or and rebellion of a grown son against his parents was punishable by death. Contempt of court or bearing false witness in a capital crime, a capital court case was punishable by death. Kidnapping and selling people, which would be akin to modern slavery and probably even akin to modern sex trafficking, was punishable by death. Stealing people and selling them. And also, if an outsider approached the tabernacle of God, he was to be put to death. Now, if we went down that list, all of these seem to be some of the worst infractions against specific commands in the Decalogue. For example, commandments 1 and 2 would cover idolatry, necromancy, and outsiders approaching God. Commandment 3, taking the Lord's name in vain, would cover false prophecy and blasphemy of the Lord's name. Commandment number 5, honoring your parents, would cover that belligerent son who was to be put to death. Commandment number six, obviously, murder. Bearing false witness in a murder trial would fall under the commandment, yes, of murder and also of commandment number nine, lying, bearing false witness. Commandment number seven would cover all of those sexual sins. But remember, not all sexual sins were punishable by death, but some of them were. Commandments eight and ten would cover kidnapping people. What could be worse to steal than another person? You could steal other things and not be put to death. You steal a person, you would be put to death. Again, coveting would fall into that. The heart attitude of coveting that leads someone to steal. Commandment number nine would cover bearing false witness in court and in a murder trial. Commandment number ten, again, coveting could cover any of those. Desiring other gods that are not true gods, that God has not commanded you to worship, that would be coveting in your heart. Desiring a word that is not God's word is coveting. Desiring sexual satisfaction in ways that God has not given is coveting. Desiring the payoff that you would receive from kidnapping a person, that's coveting. Desiring to see someone punished for what they did not do, that's coveting. The heart attitude that wants what God has said you may not have. In other words, it seems that there are commands given in the Decalogue and then out from those commands come every other instruction and prohibition. I mentioned that this morning. But within that list of all of the other various prohibitions and instructions, the most vile, the most offensive, the most abominable ways in which you could break that particular command was punishable by death. In our text, a man was found gathering sticks on the Sabbath. Verse 32, while the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. Now, does that seem like the most vile, the most offensive, the most abominable way in which someone could transgress the fourth Commandment. He was picking up sticks. It doesn't say he cursed God, gave Him the middle finger, and then ran outside and started picking up sticks and broke the law. It doesn't say he, he acted out of rage or hatred to God and began gathering sticks in defiance. You know, picking up every stick and showing it to God, I will. It doesn't say that. He was just picking up sticks. And notice what the people did. The people Verse 33 and 34, when th- "...and those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him in custody because it had not been made clear what should be done to him." In other words, they stopped him, they grabbed him, they detained him. The congregation was not about to let this man continue in what he was doing. Because it says it had not been made clear what should be done to him. Now, to be sure, God had already spoken to the issue. In Exodus 31, verses 14 and 15, we read, You shall keep the Sabbath, because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy To the Lord, whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Exodus 35, verses 2 and 3. Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. Again, to be sure, God had spoken on the issue These people were probably just unclear on how we're going to kill this fellow. We've got him. We've detained him. We're not going to let him keep going. Moses, how does this man now die? And the Lord said to Moses, "...the man shall be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. And all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones." as the Lord commanded Moses. So he was immediately stoned to death at the express command of God. They drug this man outside of the camp. They all circled around him. They picked up rocks big enough to be used as a weapon, but not so large that they couldn't throw. And they corporately bludgeoned him to death In a circle of people, they beat him until he was dead. And one source said this activity could have taken anywhere from 20 minutes to two hours for him to die. They literally bashed his body to death. Why? Because God said, kill him. Now that's the exposition. Now here's the doctrine. How serious do you think God takes the fourth commandment? How serious is it? Is it a light thing? Is it a severe thing? Is it sort of a middle way law? The sad thing is in our present day, you can almost be certain that if you just use the word Sabbath... Or explain to someone what you do or don't do one day in seven. Or worse, tell them that you don't, you're not going to participate in this activity or that activity because of a conviction regarding the Sabbath. You're going to be looked at like a madman. You'll be looked at like a lunatic. Honoring the Lord's Day, keeping a Sabbath unto the Lord is not only... A forgotten practice, especially among evangelicals, but some of you have experienced pressure from friends and family for even having a conviction at all. How dare you have a conviction? You have a conviction about which Bible translation you use? (laughs) Amen. You're applauded. You have a conviction about who should or should not be president? You are applauded. You have a conviction about the right to bear arms? You're applauded. And you stand on these types of things and you will be elevated as the embodiment of conservative Christian values. And yet if you have a conviction about one of the Ten Commandments, you're maligned, you're called a legalist, you're called a Pharisee. Even though this doctrine, the language of the Sabbath of the Lord's Day, this practice of observing a Sabbath unto the Lord has been the predominant view throughout Christian church history, especially among our Puritan forefathers and especially among American settlers. In other words, we could say, and hopefully not irreverently, the Sabbath is as American as apple pie. There's nothing more American, if we want to go back to our roots, than observing a Sabbath of rest. So the question is, what happened? What's happened? How do we go from a command of God worthy of capital punishment for the least infraction? He was picking up sticks. Kill him. How do we go from that to something that if you have a conviction, you're ridiculed by other Christians? What has happened here? How do we get to where we are? How do we get to the point where in a Baptist church, a Reformed Baptist church, Folks who claim to have been born again of God's Holy Spirit, who claim to have been made new creatures, look at one another like a calf staring at a new gate at the notion that one day in seven is to be set aside for the worship of God. What's happened? How do we we get there? How do we get from here to here? Now some of you are already planning your response right now. I'm afraid your heart is so darkened To godliness that rather than just allow the word of God to speak. You're already going over in your mind all of the arguments you learned from John Piper and John MacArthur. About why you don't have to obey God's law. This is what you're thinking. Well you only read from the Old Testament. Well we wouldn't kill somebody now for doing that. That was the old covenant. Things like that. If that's the way you think. If that's the way you do Bible study. That's the way, if that's your idea of coming humbly before the Word of God, to be honest, it wouldn't matter which covenant you lived under. Old covenant, new covenant, you'd be this guy. You'd be picking up sticks. You would still buck at God's law. If that's the way you think. Listen to our Lord in the New Testament. The, the, the right side after the blank page in our Bibles. Mark 2, 27. The Sabbath was made for man. Not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a gift of God's grace and mercy to His people. Every one of us would work ourselves into the ground if God, around 6,000 years ago, had not set aside a day for His people to rest and to worship. If there was not some remnant of that left in man, we would work ourselves to death. It's a gift from God and you treat it like leprosy. Running from it. It's a gift from God and you run from it. A gift from God and you argue against it. A gift from God and you treat it like a curse. If that's not clear, let me just say it really, really slow. Let's just think. I just want us to think tonight just about our perspective on the whole issue. God created man. And God gave man a job. And God gave man one day in seven where he could stop working spend the whole day in communion and fellowship with the almighty creator of heaven and not feel bad about it not feel like he's being lazy not feel like he's being derelict not feel one ounce of burden no regret no worry that something might not finish something might not get done if I, if this precious dirt creature doesn't have his hand in it on this day no regrets Just rest. Adam, just come and let's just hang out for a day. He gave it as a gift. And what do we do? We spend hours upon hours googling and reading and studying to try to figure out just how we we can get away from this gift and get back to our lives. And not feel bad about it. Because we do feel bad about it. We're, We're convicted and we know. But we don't want to feel bad about it anymore. And so the only thing we can do, rather than just come humbly before the Word of God, is just get this this cursed gift off of our conscience. What other gifts of God do we treat like this? In our culture, children. But what else? Do you research the Scriptures to try to find ways to argue that you have a religious exemption from a portion of your paycheck? Study the scriptures to try to find out how does John Piper feel about, feel about driving a car because, well, I just don't want to have to feel like I have to drive a car or live in air condition. What's John MacArthur say about air conditioning? Well, John MacArthur says, I don't have to have air conditioning. Do We research the scriptures to try to argue against health. You know, these gifts from God. We, we, we don't. None of us have ever tried to figure out how you can convince your spouse that the Word of God doesn't require you to wear shoes every day. No, you do it because it's a gift from God. The only two gifts of God, it seems, that the Scripture explicitly describes as a gift from God to us in our culture that modern Christians are trying to run away from is children and the Sabbath. Now, in this church, I do believe many of us are convinced that children are a blessing, but I'm not certain that we're all convinced that the Sabbath is a blessing. Now, why would that be? Why would would it be so easy to say, well, I believe children are a blessing, and don't tell me what to do on the first day of the week? Why is that? Why, Why can we not come to that so easily? The answer is because children bring you delight and personal fellowship with God and His people, and turning your heart and mind away from this world to Him does not bring you delight. Your children are fun. God is not fun. Your children make you happy. God does not make you happy. You cannot, in the words of Isaiah 58, call the Sabbath a delight. It's not a delight to you. Your delight comes from investing yourself into yourself and the things of this world that you like rather than dwelling in the presence of Almighty God. That's just truth. That's the truth. That's the the way it has always been concerning fallen men. We are so inwardly turned that the very notion of looking away from ourselves to another is offensive to us. Do you take the fourth commandment as serious as God takes the fourth commandment? That's doctrine. Now, application. I said this morning, if there's going to be unity in the body of Christ, it's going to be around truth. Delight in, love for, and conformity to the revealed will of God will create unity in the body. And as long as there are some here who are dissenters, who don't agree but can't articulate why you don't agree, there will be a lack of unity. That will lead to distrust. That will lead to whispers. That will lead to secrecy. And your love will grow cold for this body. I'm going to spend a few weeks just doing a general overview of the doctrine of the Christian Sabbath. Hopefully, this will confirm those who are already convinced of the truth. It will encourage those who are still studying. But most importantly, I hope it will convict those who have decided to continue in ignorant rebellion against the law of God. I want, to, I want you to be convicted of sin. Now, what I want to do with the remainder of the time tonight is cover what we don't believe and what we do believe. And in the weeks to come, we'll talk about why we believe it. Number one, what do we not believe about the Christian Sabbath? What do we not believe? First, we do not believe observance of the Christian Sabbath is a prerequisite for justification or glorification. I wanted to use the word salvation, but uh, I think we need to be more specific. Salvational work, it's not a prerequisite for salvation. Many times the question comes this way Are Christians still required to keep the Sabbath? Or are New Testament believers obligated to keep the Sabbath? You see, these kind of questions automatically co- color the idea in a negative light. Am I required to breathe oxygen today? Do I have to take a shower? These types of things. Coloring things in a negative light like it's a a burden. There seems to be this underlying assumption that at some point in history, somebody was required to keep the Sabbath in order to be right with God. And then this great change took place, and now we don't have to keep the Sabbath any longer to be right with God. Well, here's a little truth There's never been a time or a place in human history since the fall when obedience to God was the condition upon which men were made right with God. It's never been so. Not even with the Jews. In Israel, obedience to the law, observance of the Sabbath, was not required for their salvation. Now, in the New Covenant, obedience to the law, observance of the Sabbath, is not required for salvation. We do not believe that observance of the Christian Sabbath is a prerequisite for salvation. Any more than we would say loving your wife, loving your husband, is a prerequisite for salvation. Do we believe obedience flows out of those who have been converted? Absolutely. Secondly, we do not observe the Jewish Sabbath. We do not observe the Jewish Sabbath. A lot of people, because of their ignorance of the doctrine, when they hear the word Sabbath, they assume we're referring to the Jewish Sabbath. That is the Sabbath given to that people as a sign of their covenant with God. We read in Exodus thirty-one sixteen: Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. We're not Jewish. We're not any type of Hebrew roots or Jewish roots movement or group trying to get back to the Jewish roots of the faith and so we don't call, we don't call our Lord Jesus, we call Him Yeshua and we use words like Shalom and stuff like that. That's not who we are. The Jewish Sabbath was from sundown Friday night to sundown Saturday night. We do not observe any part of Saturday as the Sabbath. We are Protestant. We are Reformed Baptist. We are Gentiles. We do not observe the Jewish Sabbath, nor are we in any way a part of the Mosaic or Old Covenant. So if somebody says, "Oh, well that's that's Old Covenant." Wrong. That, that's not what we believe. You've misunderstood the doctrine. And hopefully we'll clarify that in the weeks to come. Thirdly, we do not believe that the Bible gives explicit instructions on everything one can and cannot do on any given Lord's Day. Now people, again vaguely understand the concept of the Jewish Sabbath. Well, here you say Sabbath or the Lord's Day or talk about what you believe and you're going to immediately get hit with a birdshot of questions regarding what you are and are not allowed to do on the day. Again, that shows man's natural aversion to God's law. So can you do this? Well, can you do this? Well, are you allowed to do this? Are we allowed to do that? So if word ever gets out, that, that church doesn't let people use electricity, or that church doesn't let children talk, or whatever. You can immediately squash that, because we don't believe that the Bible gives explicit instructions on everything a person may or may not do on any given day of the week. Yes, there are principles commanded in Scripture, and they're very clear. However, as we've seen from the Lord already, the Sabbath was made as a blessing and a gift for men, not to make redeemed life a drudgery. Now, I I qualify that because I could say not to make life a drudgery, but any unconverted person is going to see the Sabbath as a drudgery. That we can call the Sabbath a delight is purely flowing out of our regeneration, the work of the Spirit in us. So, The Sabbath was made as a blessing and a gift for man not to make redeemed life a drudgery. Now, do I believe it is still a blessing to all men in all places? Absolutely. I think they struggle to see that and comprehend it because of their selfishness and their depravity. But anyway, it's not meant to make the redeemed life a drudgery. Those are some things we don't believe. There are probably more. But I just want to hit those. Those came to my mind as I was thinking through how to... Introduce this. Secondly, then, what do we believe about the Christian Sabbath? What is it that we believe about the Christian Sabbath? Now you can open up your copy of the Confession to chapter 22. The copy of the Confession that all of you read and agreed to when you joined this church. Chapter 22. And notice the title is, Of Religious Worship and the Sabbath Day. Our Baptist forefathers considered religious worship and the Sabbath day to be connected terms, connected ideas. Now just very quickly, just walking through the chapter, paragraph 1 discusses what we typically refer to as the regulative principle of worship, which means Scripture alone governs our worship. Only the scriptures tell us what we may do in corporate worship. If God has not commanded us to do it in corporate worship, we do not do it. The second paragraph, paragraph 2, Talks about Trinitarian worship. We are, as we saw recently, Trinitarians. And so as we worship, we worship God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and our worship is mediated by Christ. All of our worship is mediated by Christ. In the third paragraph, we see that prayer is to be a particular part of our worship. Paragraph four, our prayers are to be biblical prayers. That would be contrary to the concept of the Roman Catholic Church praying for the dead and things like that. We must pray biblically. Paragraph 5 talks about some of the other elements of corporate worship, preaching, hearing of the Word of God, teaching, admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, baptism, the Lord's Supper. These are all parts of religious worship. They are to be performed in obedience, with understanding, faith, reverence, and godly fear. Humiliation, fasting, thanksgiving upon special occasions ought to be used and in holy and religious manner. So a lot of other elements of our worship. And then we come to uh, paragraph 6. talks about the freedom of our location in worship. We can worship anywhere. We're not tied to buildings or structures. It can be private worship in families daily. It can be public worship And then paragraph 7 picks up that idea of specifically corporate worship and opens up the day of corporate worship. Now I'll read. As it is the law of nature that in general a proportion of time by God's appointment, there's the regulative principle again, God tells us how much time, by God's appointment be set apart for the worship of God. So by His word, in a positive moral and perpetual commandment, binding all men in all ages, He hath particularly appointed one day in seven for a Sabbath to be kept holy unto Him. Now we're going to dig into this stuff more as we move along, but just notice the pattern is one day in seven... That pattern was established by God, established by God in His Word. That's the pattern. This one day in seven is to be kept holy. That is sanctified, set apart for specific purpose, use unto God. One day in seven is to be set aside. It says unto Him. That is unto God. It's not our day. Like I said earlier, we've got a calendar you're looking at columns of days. That first column, from your perspective, that first column, up at the top it might say S U N. That first column, it's not yours. It's already taken. Might as well go ahead and X them all out. They're already taken because that day, one day in seven, is to be set aside unto Him. Whatever we do on that day is to be done unto Him. And this one day in 7, continuing, says, "...which," referring to the day, "...from the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ was the last day of the week. And from the resurrection of Christ was changed into the first day of the week, which is called the Lord's Day, and is to be continued to the end of the world as the Christian Sabbath." The observation of the last day of the week being abolished. Again, we don't worship on the Jewish Sabbath. We observe the Christian Sabbath. There are two time periods given, creation to Christ. Now, Adam was not Jewish. Abraham was not Jewish. So we're already beginning to see a little bit about the, the, the doctrine of the Sabbath from this language, creation to Christ, and then second time period from Christ Christ. ...to the end of the world. Two time periods, two different days... ...but both following one day in seven. Paragraph 8 covers the specifics of Sabbath observance. The Sabbath is then kept holy unto the Lord when... In other words, here's what we believe... ...satisfies the phrase, kept holy... In the first paragraph, this day is to be kept holy. What does it mean to keep it holy? As a church, here's what we believe you do to keep it holy. The Sabbath is kept holy unto the Lord when men, after a due preparing of their hearts and ordering their common affairs beforehand. And so to set apart the Sabbath... As holy unto the Lord, you start off by preparing your heart and ordering your affairs so that nothing of your common affairs will begin to intrude on that day. You prepare ahead of time. Again, look at a calendar. You look at that first column. You say, there are some days here that are coming. At this point, looking into the future, those days are... Future, I'm right now in the, the period that we could call aforehand. And so I'm going to prepare and order my affairs so that those days are kept holy. Do not only observe or here let me let me pick up the Sabbath is then kept holy unto the Lord when men after a due preparing of their hearts and ordering of their common affairs aforehand, do not only observe and holy rest all the day from their works. Words and thoughts about their worldly employment and recreations. We'll stop in the middle of that sentence. Remember this is being being phrased in the negative. These are these are things that we are to do, but this is not all that we're to do. And notice the language. A holy rest. We think of rest, we think of laying down in the bed in the afternoon, taking a nap not what it says. A holy rest. A sanctified, set-apart rest all the day. And here's what that rest is from. From their own works, words, thoughts about worldly employment and recreations. This is one of our major problems in understanding the doctrine of the Christian Sabbath. We think our own works, our own words and our own thoughts about all of our worldly employment and all of our worldly recreations is the apex of human existence. Every one of us as an individual naturally thinks that about ourselves. All of my words, all of my thoughts, all of my conversation about all the things that are about me, that's the, that's the pinnacle, that's the top. And so we think that to be set free from self-obsession, For one day, we think that's a bad thing. That's a curse. That's rain on my self parade. And once you get to the point where you truly believe that everything about you, in as much as it is about you, that is bondage, that is the drudgery, that everything about the Lord's day is the joy, then the Sabbath will be a delight. But we don't think like that. We think everything about me is good, everything about anybody else or anything else is bad. The Sabbath is a day God has given to say take a rest from yourself and yet we are so self-obsessed we can't even imagine that concept. Rest from your own works, that's your work, your job, your duties. Rest from your own words about your worldly employment, your works. Rest from your own thoughts about your worldly employment. Rest from your own words about your recreations. Rest from your own thoughts about your recreations. In other words, again, take a break from yourself. Now remember that was phrased in the negative. Not only are we to do all of that, and here I'm reading again, but also are taken up. So we set aside something, but we take up something else. Are taken up the whole time in the public and private exercises of His worship. Who's the His? It's God. His worship. Taken up the whole time in public and private exercises of His worship and in the duties of necessity and mercy. So we set aside ourselves. We set aside one thing. We're resting from one thing, but we're also taking up something else. So people who say, "Well, you can't. You're not really observing the Sabbath unless you just lay in bed all day," again, they don't know the doctrine of the Christian Sabbath. Spend the whole day doing something, worship, works, or duties of necessity. That is something that cannot wait without undue harm to life. Works of mercy, seeing to the needs of others, the sick, the infirm, the homebound. Notice the confession says, are taken up the whole time in the public and private exercises of His worship and in duties of necessity and mercy. Not or, and. Not that there's an option. The whole day is to be taken up. In public and private worship, and duties of necessity and mercy. Again, take a break from yourself and give the Lord, not other people, the Lord, one day of undivided attention and devotion. And some people find that concept a burden. That's called lawlessness the disposition that opposes the revealed will of God and His moral law. Now, that's our confessional language. We'll come back to that in the future. Now, I want to couple this with the language from some of the Reformed catechisms. I'm just going to read from the two shorter ones. You've got a copy there of the Westminster Shorter and Larger Catechisms, and you can look at those. But here's first, I'll read from Keech's Catechism, also known as the Baptist Catechism. Written by Benjamin Keach. Question 63. What is required in the fourth commandment? Answer. The fourth commandment requires the keeping holy to God... one whole day in seven... to be a Sabbath to himself. Question 64. Which day of the seven... hath God appointed to be the weekly Sabbath? Answer. Before the resurrection of Christ... God appointed the seventh day of the week to be the weekly Sabbath and the first day of the week ever since, to continue to the end of the world, which is the Christian Sabbath. Question 65, how is the Sabbath to lie sanctified? Answer, the Sabbath is to be sanctified by a holy resting all that day, even from such worldly employments and recreations as are lawful on other days. In other words, it's not that they're sinful inherently, Any other day they would be fine, but on this day we take a rest from them. And spending the whole time in the public and private exercises of God's worship, except so much as is taken up in the works of necessity and mercy. Question 66. What is forbidden in the fourth commandment? Now, I've not done a study of the law... But remember that every commandment comes with it positive prescriptions and negative prohibitions. So if it is a positive command, it assumes the negative. If it's a negative command, it assumes the positive. So you shall not lie assumes the opposite command. You shall tell the truth. Both of those would be a part of the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. So here, question, what is forbidden? in the fourth commandment answer the fourth commandment forbids the omission or careless performance of the duties required and the profaning the day in idleness in other words again some would say oh you believe you just uh, just lay in bed all day and don't do anything no we believe that if you're sitting around doing nothing you're in sin idleness is forbidden ...in the fourth commandment. Now again, that does not negate bodily, physical rest. I'm not saying it's sinful to take a nap. But if your idea of setting aside the day is... ...I'm just going to sleep all day... ...then you've not observed the Sabbath. Or doing that which is in itself sinful. Or by unnecessary thoughts, words, or works... ...about worldly employments or recreations. These things are forbidden... In the fourth commandment, Spurgeon's catechism, he sort of wrote his own based off of that Baptist catechism. What is required in the fourth commandment? The fourth commandment requires the keeping holy to God such set times as He has appointed in His Word expressly one whole day in seven to be a holy Sabbath to Himself. Question 51, how is the Sabbath to be sanctified? Answer, the Sabbath is to be sanctified by a holy resting all that day even from such worldly employments and recreations as are lawful on other days, and spending the whole time in the public and private exercises of God's worship, except so much as is taken up in the works of necessity and mercy. I grabbed these just on the way in. Just to add to that, here's the catechism for boys and girls. What does the fourth commandment teach us? To keep the Sabbath holy. What day of the week is the Christian Sabbath? The first day of the week called the Lord's Day. Why is it called the Lord's Day? Because on that day Christ rose from the dead. How should the Sabbath be kept? In prayer and praise, in hearing and reading God's Word, and in doing good to our fellow men. That's that one. Here's Bible questions and answers for children. What did God do on the seventh day? He rested and made the seventh day of the week his special day. I think that might be all. So there you go. This this is obviously the most basic. This is is a catechism for two and three-year-olds. What did God do? He rested and made the seventh day of the week His special day. This is what we believe. Again, we'll walk through the Scriptures and prove what we believe in the weeks to come. But I want to come back to these questions just to get you thinking. Why... Do others not believe what I just read? The Westminster Shorter, the Westminster Larger, they would comply with the Baptist Catechism and add, add some. They're, they're a little meatier, you could say, a little more hefty. They agree. Why does everybody not believe this? Why, what, where is the debate? Where is the confusion here? Well, I'd suggest that the problem exists at two points. Here's the problem. There's a natural problem, and there's a hermeneutical problem. Natural problem, men are sinful. Hermeneutical problem, men don't read their Bibles. That's the problem. It's that basic. I'm going to cover those things in the weeks to come. Let me close with these words from the Gospel of Isaiah, chapter 58. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure of the Lord has spoken." Take delight in His day is to take delight in Him. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. The question is not, has God spoken? The question is not, has God been unclear? The question is, will you hear God rather than telling God what He meant to say? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be prepared to receive the Word of God. Lord, forgive us when we have stood as judges of Your Word, rather than coming to it as You have commanded us, trembling, broken, humble, of contrite spirit, as beggars seeking to be fed. Oh Lord, beggars don't bring bread. Beggars beggars come seeking bread. Beggars don't come to tell what kind of bread they would like or where the bread is to be found. Beggars come to seek bread and they take what they can be given. Lord, we ask that you would feed us with bread from heaven. I pray that our hearts would be stirred to study this commandment of yours, to seek to be a holy people. Lord, I pray that we would be a people set apart from the world in this aspect, and in all areas of obedience, but especially this one as we begin to study. Lord, I pray that you would convict, convince, confirm, Lord, if it were not for Your Word, we would be ignorant on everything You you require of us. You've spoken, and we thank You for that. We don't have anything that we've not been given. We've we've freely received everything. Oh Lord, help us to be a people who treat Your Word like that, like a gift, like a, a, a blessing and a treasure. I pray that we would treat the Sabbath like a blessing and a treasure, that we would honor it and love the Sabbath day. Lord, I pray that every one of us We get to that point where we will call the Sabbath a delight and in so doing, delight in God. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.